0: The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah. someday we'll judge if they're fine.
1: Hello, hello, welcome to Weekend Potted Hour, where today we're going to talk about McCartney. Paul McCartney's solo debut album. On vocals, guitar, steel guitar, bass guitar, piano, keyboards, organ, bellatron, xylophone, drums, baracas, bongos, tambourine, cowbell, wine glasses, hand percussion, aerosol, and bow and arrow is Andrew Loudon. <laughs> and on back, vocals, Roger Corbett.
0: Oh, man.
1: Oh, boy. So McCartney came out, uh, I believe, April 17th. 1970, and I gotta say, my initial thoughts on it, I was frustrated by it at first, because it's a lot of great half ideas that I would love to have heard the finished versions of. It's like if David Wright, for example, for one season during his prime hit left-handed. But I think I now made some peace with it. We get plenty of other McCartney solo works coming, and yes, Wings but um, McCartney, the album is like, to paraphrase a review, Macca bullshitting around on a summer afternoon. It definitely makes it unique, and unique is good.
0: Um, my thoughts on it, you know, I hadn't listened to this album until 2013. Which is, you know, feels pretty late. Uh, when I picked it up randomly at uh, Music Matters in Park Slope, Brooklyn, I was—I remember it because I was flipping through the stacks and I came to what I thought in my head was a Pink Floyd album. Mm. Looking at the cover, and I turned it around, saw Paul, laughed at my mistake, and was like, "All right, I'll bring it home."
1: That's it uh, the picture ch- of Paul with Heather, like in his jacket. Yes. It is cruel, I, was re- yeah.
0: I was strongly considering doing that as my Halloween costume in 2020, nice. but I did not get it. I didn't do it in time. Um, so anyway, what I think about this record that frustrates most people is what I actually really love about it. You know, the bullshitting mm. around, to use the term you used, uh, the self-recorded elements of it, the half-finished thoughts, the ton of instrumentals. It's really what like draws me in. And, like, looking back on his whole career, I think he kind of, like, had to do this record before he started making his grand pop statements under his own name and, yes, wings. Uh, Because he's just shaking his sillies out. He's suddenly free to do anything he wants. Record at home, have fun outside the major stresses of what the Beatles' empire was. Uh, You know, my wife and I listened to this record a surprising amount around the house. (laughs) And on our honeymoon, I picked up this Japanese copy that I have behind me <laughs> in Hong Kong, because mm-hmm. why not? Um, I also personally took a lot of inspiration from this from this record specifically when I recorded a Nick Lowe cover EP during the first months of the pandemic, where I had my recording stuff that I'd never had... It in my house before and hadn't had my drum set available to me for years and i recorded everything including the hand claps mm-hmm.
1: yeah uh that's on Camp, right
0: it sure is mm-hmm.
1: and i believe one of the songs was on the wfmu
0: two of them actually made it to wfmu
1: oh my goodness I, oh I my do... goodness that's amazing
0: Yes. And it's on Spotify. You can check it out. It's called Jesus yeah. of Quarantine.
1: <laughs> uh, enough about funny. me. No, okay. Well, you are half the show, but okay. Um so look, a lot of there's a lot of backstory behind this album. It's very mm-hmm. controversial and yes. had nothing to do pretty much with the actual songs. Um the other three Beatles and Alan Klein attempted to delay this album because they worried it would affect the sales of Let It Be, which came out around this time, and Ringo's solo debut, Sentimental Journey. Um, and at first, Paul was like, fine. And then he, he realized that Alan Klein, it was Alan Klein's idea, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, a furious Paul telephoned George Harrison to reinstate the original release day of April 17th. He sent a confirmation telegram to the other Beatles, Alan Klein and Neil Aspinall. Uh, I don't think we have the uh, contents of the telegram, but it must have been really... It's always funny when you read an angry telegram, you know. <laughs> stop the presses, stop. I am upset, <laughs> stop. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was really... Well, it's like...
0: It's like when uh, Frank Black uh, said he was leaving, or he fired everyone in the Pixies, or something. Or sorry, not the in Pixies mm. via fax, or something. That's right.
1: I was thinking like um, the Jerry Seinfeld joke: like you can't angrily hang up on someone with a cordless phone. Yes, and goodbye. <laughs> Beep. Right. It's hard to can't slam the phone. No. Uh, I guess a cell phone, too. So John Lennon informed EMI of Apple's decision to delay the McCartney album. George Harrison then wrote to McCartney, marking the envelope from us to you, alleviated hmm. Apple for a messenger to deliver. But Ringo decided to bring it to Paul. And then Ringo handed Paul the letter. He said he agreed with the contents of it. And uh, so let's take it from here from Ringo. I couldn't uh, I couldn't fear him. He got. A, uh, Paul got angry because we were asking him to hold his album back, and the album was very important to him. He shouted and pointed at me. He told me to get out of his house. He was crazy. He went crazy. He was out of control, prodding his finger towards my face. He told me to put my coat on and get out. I couldn't believe it was happening. I had just brought the letter. I said I agree with everything that's in the letter because we try to work it like a company, not as individuals. I put my album out 2 weeks before which makes me seem like such a good guy but it wasn't really cuz I needed to put it out before Paul's album or else it would have slayed me. It's not wrong. <sighs> yeah. Uh Paul eventually emerged victorious about the decision. Um and Paul talks about how he was going through a rough time. Um almost a nervous breakdown he described it. Um the interesting part is I eventually went and said, I want to leave. You can get on with Alan Klein and everything. Just let me out of the label. And they said, no, we're not going to let you go. Because Alan Klein had said, look, he produced Those Were Todays and stuff, like James Taylor. Same idea. Why let him go? I remember having one classic conversation with George Harrison. I said, look, George, I want to get off the label. And George ended the conversation, and as I say this now, I almost feel like I'm lying with the devil's tongue. But I swear George said to me, you'll stay on the fucking label, Hare Krishna. That's how it was. That's how the times were.
0: Man, like it's it's like Ringo using peace and love to say go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> that that's George's version. <laughs> you'll maybe stay that's the where label. he got it from. <laughs> Hare Krishna, go fuck yourself. <laughs> to think about it from George's point of view, like you'll but like staying on the label. I mean of all people, Paul has been putting him through hell with all the Apple stuff. Like at this point, he's like, no, you're going through with everything you just made me do (laughs) with all this, all this nonsense has been happening over for the past few years. Just for you to say like, Oh wait, I'm leaving. No. (laughs)
1: That's true. Paul's Paul's the obstinate one. According to the, the other three. Right. You know, even though he's right, but whatever.
0: Sure.
1: So there's that controversial aspect of it. And then there's the self-interview that Paul did with himself. Uh, Apple's press officer, Derek Taylor, originally said to Paul, Oh, um, do you want to do any interviews for this? Paul declined, saying, I can't deal with the press. I hate all those Beatle questions. It said, Paul agreed to answer questions submitted by Derek Taylor, which would be included with review copies. The resulting press release contained a number of additional questions written and answered by Paul McCartney, which he laid bare to cracks within the Beatles at Apple, and Derek Taylor uh, said he was only supposed to write out information explaining how he made the album. Instead, he ends this interview with himself, asking questions such as, would he miss Ringo? It was entirely gratuitous. Nobody asked him that. He asked that question himself. Weird. The press copies were delivered on April ninth, 1970. The media scrambled into action, led by Don Short at the Daily Mirror, who wrote an exclusive headline: "Paul is quitting the Beatles." Now he never directly says he's quitting here, and um, let's let's do this Q&A. The the part where it seems like he might be implying that. So I'll be Paul, and you be Paul. Okay. okay. Is it true that neither Alan Klein nor ABKCO have been, nor will be, in any way involved with the production, manufacturing, distribution, or promotion of this new album?
0: Not if I can help it.
1: Did you miss the other Beatles and George Martin? Was there a moment when you thought, I wish Ringo was here for this break? No. Are you planning a new album or single with the Beatles? Nope. Is this album a rest away from the Beatles or the start of a
0: solo career? Time will tell. Being a solo album means it's the start of a solo career, and not being done with the Beatles means it's just a rest, so it's both.
1: Is your break with the Beatles temporary or permanent due to personal differences or
0: musical ones? Personal differences, business differences, musical differences, but most of all, I have a better time with my family. Temporary or permanent? I really don't know.
1: Do you foresee a time when Lennon-McCarty becomes an active songwriting partnership again? No. Okay, so that really Ouch. does sound like he's quitting.
0: <laughs> yes, but he didn't leave first. <laughs> no, see... <laughs> Lennon did.
1: What, what the people didn't know was that John had quit back yeah. in late 69, and they didn't say anything because they didn't want it to affect the sales of Let It Be.
0: Um, Had Let so It Be come out already? It's about to come out. It's about to come out. So like, what's the order of operations here between um, Sentimental Journey, McCartney, Let It Be?
1: Let It Be came out on May 8th. This came out okay. April 17th. Okay. And Sentimental Journey came out according to Ringo two weeks before McCartney. It came out on March
0: 27th. Also, like, I mean, as we covered last episode, like, uh, John has been releasing solo stuff, not not really pop stuff. No. But he's been releasing stuff, too. Yes. So I think from Paul's perspective as well, he's like, well, why, why can't I do this? Everyone else is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But did he have to a- a- ask and answer those questions? No. No.
0: no. <laughs> he's just being... um He's just he's just being a sketch. A sketch.
1: Yeah. Okay. I if we're using such dirty language around here, I, <laughs> goodness gracious. Ooh. Okay, so there that's all going on. So on April tenth, I guess, is when it says Macari's Quay Beatles. A week later, this comes out. So people start so people listen to the album. The first track is the lovely Linda? It is forty-four seconds long. Yes, it's a great beginning in the sense that Paul is giving the thesis statement. Like, look, this isn't going to be a finished product. And but man, it this it really is such a tease because it sounds like a great song. It's it's just like Rihanna, who would later collab with Paulie. Um, rihanna's song. There's a song she has called "Birthday Cake." It's a great song, and it stops at after like 80 seconds.
0: Oh, I I don't know that one. Oh, yeah, it wait. sounds like it's
1: gonna be a full song, and then it just stops.
0: Oh it's man, I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, yeah, I mean, the lovely Linda. This this song summarizes the whole record for me, to be honest. Like it's mm-hmm. him sitting at home with his new toy, his four track, hitting record. And testing it testing it with something that feels very off the cuff and truly very intimate. Uh, and then him giggling like a little boy that he's able to do this at all. <laughs> he's like, "Look what
1: I can do." I thought that was Linda giggling.
0: Oh, maybe it was. I always thought it was him. Like he's well, just like so excited funny, that he did it.
1: Let's say it's him because it's more fun that way. Okay. Um, and Paul, in addition to his little Q and A, he uh, this, he talked about each track. Um, so he said about the lovely Linda. what is a Studer Studer S T U D E R Fort Studer, track, yeah. Studer Studer was installed at home. This was the first song I recorded to test the machine. Check my machine. Check check <laughs> check, check check. On the first track was vocal guitar. Second, another acoustic that overdubbed hand slaps on a book. But what was the book? And finally, bass. Written in Scala, the song is a trailer to the full song, which will be recorded in the future. Spoiler alert, he never would record the full song. Uh, in 2001, he said he was always going to finish it, but he had, another, he had another bit that went into a Spanish song, almost mariachi, but it just appeared as a fragment. It was quite nice for that reason. Fair enough. Josie Scale, is this song better than your love buddy, i feel, I say. Josie?
0: I agree it's a Josie, but I do love it.
1: If Well, who knows? If he ever finishes it, maybe we'll revisit our rating. Yeah. That would be something. I told myself it wouldn't get bad, Andrew, but come on. Paul clearly had a hook. It's what a hook. The hook belongs in NB Locker. Clearly, though, he didn't sit down and think of better lyrics because uh, besides the two lines he ended up putting to tape. With a little finky time, this could have been a classic. Alas,
0: I I love this one. I think in the context of the record, he's really just revving up, and he's showing that yes, this is indeed what we will be doing. This whole record, buckle up, (laughs) and for it's (laughs) all you strapped in, you got your helmet on. Uh, to me, it's like it's more of a vehicle for him to practice laying down all these instruments on the same song on top of each other. So, like, it's more an exercise or him like testing stuff out again, mm. more than a song. And to me, you know, that's fine. I guess
1: the, uh, Paul said this song was written in Scotland in '69, recorded at home in London, mixed later at EMI. So yeah, there's some songs that he cheats, so to speak. Where he's actually records it in, stu- in a legit studio. Yeah. Uh, um, he said, I only had one mic as the mixer and VU meters hadn't arrived. And he said he, it still hasn't arrived. And maybe in 2024, it still hasn't arrived. Uh, gotta use Amazon.
0: What can I tell you? Maybe they'll arrive from McCartney 4. Mm.
1: Although he was largely disdainful, the McCartney album George Harrison praised That Would Be Something upon its release. He said, uh, that would be something and maybe I'm amazed are great and everything else I think is fair. It's quite good but a little disappointing, but maybe I shouldn't be disappointed. It's best not to expect anything, then everything's a bonus. I think those two tracks are very good, the others just don't do anything for me.
0: That's an interesting thought there because maybe also McCartney is like leveling the playing field again he's saying this is like he's he's taking like the expectations for his first solo album are so high and he's just like saying no 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 bringing them back to zero <laughs> not at all that's a fair <laughs> i'm part. starting from scratch here
1: yeah i'm uh this is a new whole new thing
0: yep this is don't a, expect yeah
1: yeah this is a beatles 2 no no um, McCarty first performed that would be something live in 1991 during the recording of Unplugged, which was released later that year on January 25th. Perhaps inspired by the MTV Unplugged performance, that would be something that was performed live by the Grateful Dead in September 1991 and again on several other occasions between then and June 1995.
0: And it was 20 minutes long.
1: Probably. In 2010, Jack White interpolated a bridge of That Would Be Something into his performance of Mother Nature's Son, another one of Paul's compositions, during a concert held at the White House during which Paul McCartney was awarded the Gershwin Prize. Josie Scale, I give this a Josie.
0: I agree. A Josie.
1: Valentine Day. Not Valentine's Day. Valentine Day. This is an instrumental. It's intriguing once you know... He laid the drums down first. I do yeah. wonder where it was going to go when it faded out. Once again, though, three in a row, leaving us wanting more.
0: This is more just playtime for Maca here. Just testing it out, having fun. He
1: said he recorded it at home, made it up as he went along, acoustic guitar first, then drums, but then he says maybe drums were first, and then it was confirmed somewhere else. The drums were first. Anyway, electric guitar bass were added, and the track is all instrumental. Mixed in EMI. This one and Mama Miss America were ad-libbed with more concern for testing the machine than anything else. Okay, again, that's fine, but, like, he he keeps testing this machine. Like, just trust the machine already.
0: Well, he doesn't have VU meters, man.
1: And he has a song, to, spoiler, in McCartney 2, Ten years later, called check by machine.
0: Yes. <laughs> who knows? Which is what pretty good,
1: but anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I mean, who know I mean, by that point, probably he had a Studer sixteen track or something at his house. I have. We'll get there in you know the McCartney era. Yeah, it
1: was the eighties. He lived in you. the eighties. He didn't have to struggle. Oh, oh. no. McCartney recorded the song alone at a instrument and da da da. Oh, and he said in an interview that the drum track was first. Okay, there you go. Along with that would be something Valentine's Day was mixed at EMI, Abbey Road, on February twenty second, 1970, eight days after St. Valentine's Day. He also recorded the songs Every Night and Maybe I'm Amazed. Josie Scale. Josie?
0: Josie for me, too.
1: Speaking of Every Night, that's the next mm. track, and mm. this... Is one of the songs Paul recorded at a real studio because he had extra time on his hands. And thank God. <laughs> a complete song. A complete, beautiful song at the height of his powers. Easily top five Paul solo slash Wings tune to me. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That guitar flourish after I Just Want to Stay Here and Be With You. do 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 and be with you. doo doo doo." That's a favorite. Uh, Bass is excellent. Just all good all around.
0: This is my favorite, second favorite song on this record. And honestly, it should have been a single. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's classic pure McCartney at the height of his powers, to use your phrase there. Uh, As seemingly innocent as just wanting to hold your hand, he just wants to stay in and be with you. Incredible hook. Amazing song.
1: Paul said this came from the first two lines, which he's had for a few years. They were added to in 1969 in Greece on holiday. Uh, he first re- performed the song during the Get Back sessions. I don't remember that being in the documentary. I'm not sure. I, I don't either. On the first occasion, it was a brief solo edition while the group was working on Dig a Pony though the second had some poorly played slide guitar accompanied by John Lennon. <laughs> 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 Wings performed yeah. every night at London's Hammersmith Odeon on December 1979 at a series of all-star concerts to aid of victims <clears throat> of war-torn Cambodia. A Highlights album featuring the recording was issued in 1981 as concerts for the people of Capuchia. Every Night was also recorded for MTV Unplugged on January 20th, 1991. It also appeared on the live album Back in the U.S., released in North America in 2002 and the following year on its international counterpart Back in the World. In 1994, Paul McCarty told Club Sandwich, Going back to earlier songs, Every Night could stand up to being remade. Other people have made good recordings of it and I remember that when I played the Bacardi album to Ringo, he said he preferred my original solo version when I would first sung it to him. When it it was intimate with Ringo.
0: Hmm. That's, I mean, interesting.
1: He liked the song. I think that's what he was trying to say.
0: No, no, it's interesting that, like, well, I I don't know if this is, like, Paul, like, misremembering. but it sounds like his relationship with Ringo was a little contentious about the re- you know the recording and release of this so you know right maybe this was maybe this was beforehand i guess perhaps yeah you know. so here's my
1: album we're going to listen to it and it's going to come out when i say it's coming out <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay mate According to James McGrath, the last line, but tonight I just want to stay in and be with you, is the key to the song in that it quietly challenges the uneasy relationship between rock and domesticality. And there's plenty of songs about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, McGrath points out Bob Dylan's song from the previous year, tonight I'll be staying here with you, ended on a similar note. That's true. Does also not sound a great the same,
0: song. So that's fine. No.
1: Josie Scale, I give this a Yeah. I agree. I'll give this a yeah as well. Then we got hottest sun slash glasses. It's an instrumental. I picture a picnic where someone is juggling or doing something circusy. Thanks to the organ. And then a dream filled nap.
0: Totally. It's, it's very dreamy. And to me, it's feels like he's almost providing the soundtrack to a wonderful day at the fair. Hmm. Uh, and I think it should be used in movies to be honest.
1: Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised, ex- with the exception of "Singalong along Junk, none huh? of these instrumentals, I, as far as I know, appear in movies,
0: like actual oh, movies. I d- we'll have to talk, when we get to sing Junk, you'll have to tell me what, what movie it was used to, because I don't remember. Okay,
1: you'll have to stay tuned. Folks.
0: Stay tuned, everyone. Paul said he wrote this in
1: 1958 or 1959, or maybe even earlier. It's one of those songs that you play now and then. Hmm. The, the middle was added in Morgan's studio where the track was recorded recently. It includes bongos and baracas. It has been performed occasionally by the Quarrymen. The first record of it is from January 24th, 1969, when it was played by the Beatles during the Let It Be sessions. Although mostly instrumental, McCartney added some vocal sounds to the spoken word passage. Welcome to the South Sea Islands, where the sound of a wave landing on the sand brings joy to the air. So he thinks it's a, you know, a beach kind of thing.
0: Beachy, sure.
1: He's wrong. <laughs> Tim Bryce later added a set of lyrics to the music, and "Hottest as Son was issued as a single by Nusha Fox in July 1982. It was also recorded by Elaine Page for her Hottest Sun album later that year. The sleeve notes erroneously claimed that McCartney had written the song specifically for her. Oh, God. <laughs> That's weird. Very funny. On the McCartney album, Hottest Sun was presented alongside another instrumental, Glasses, which itself sank into another piece, a fragment of an unreleased song titled Suicide, and we will get to that. Oh, yes. Josie Scale, this is a Josie.
0: It is a Josie for me, too. It's a Josie. Yeah, it's a Josie. Mm, I'm afraid
1: it's a Josie. Junk. Hee hee. So I don't know what to make of Junk. It's another cute pulse song that is subtly dark for reasons that can't be fully explained. Um, There must be a minor chord or two hidden in there. My interpretation of the song is he's singing about a romance that's evident through the gifts the couple give to one another.
0: Sure. yeah, This is my favorite song on McCartney. Uh, to me, it brings to mind a couple who are on bikes on a rainy day going through town. Like they're looking through the thrift or th- salvage stores, stopping in the cafe for a coffee mm-hmm. um, I learned this song on guitar from my wife years ago and it's to me it's just a beautiful song.
1: Yeah, some people believe this is about consumerism.
0: I could I could see that.
1: Yeah. In fact, Paul is one of those people, which we'll get to in
0: a second. And it's not about heroin. No, it's not about <laughs> the heroin. First, the first song. John didn't write a, it. If it was a Lennon song, a song called Junk would have been about junk. Probably. Yeah.
1: Uh, That would have been a great A-side and a cold turkey B-side. There you go. Uh, Paul said this was originally written in India at the Maharishi's camp and completed bit by bit in London, recorded the vocal, two acoustic guitars, a bass at home, but later added bass drums, snare with brushes, and small xylophone and harmony at Morgan Studios. This, uh, it was considered for the White Album and Abbey Road. Paul recorded a demo version of Junk in uh, George Harrison's Esher Bungalow upon the Beatles' return from India. It was on Anthology 3. A rough, rough version lasted just 16 seconds and sung in mock French was bust on January 9, 1969 during the Get Back Sessions. So Paul said in his lyrics book, which came out a few years ago, When I was a kid, you held on to things. I have an instinct now to hold on to things, and more than that, I expect things to last. So this is a comment on consumer society. It's one thing you do as a writer. You comment on society, and you put across an opinion. I put opinions in my songs. Not always an opinion I hold, but just an opinion I've heard, or I like, or that interests me. So the idea that stuff is going to be useless after you buy it is a comment on consumer society. Apparently it was only in the 1960s that we crossed the line from having needs to having wants, and then acting upon those wants. So this song is of a piece with that. And then he says, but it's mostly a love song. The bicycles for two merge into the sleepy bags for two. Then there's the line, bye bye, says the sign in the shop window, which sounds like one lover saying bye bye, and then the other plaintively asking why why. Even as the junk in the yard demands an explanation for the urge to acquire something or somebody new.
0: Interesting.
1: He sounds like he put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. Uh probably after the fact, which which I like. Um, junk was first performed live as an instrumental during McCartney's appearance on MTV Unplugged. Um. And sing along, junk which we will get to was included which is the instrumental version of junk was included in the soundtrack of the movie Hanging Up no idea what that is the French film my wife is an actress uh most famously i think in the Jerry Maguire soundtrack so Andrew has not seen Jerry Maguire is what i'm learning
0: uh no i have not sh- uh shown um uh, show my Blockbuster by money and uh, rented it. <laughs> it's on cable from time to time. Yes. Cable? It, cable? Ca-
1: ca- yeah. We're talking about cable? No. Yeah, I... uh, and, uh, it's probably streaming somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, geez. No, yes. Speaking play- of cable, season three of Parenthood. <laughs> it
1: plays towards the end of their... First date of Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger.
0: Okay, I believe. Interesting. Doo, doo, doo. No, I I have not seen Jerry Maguire.
1: Okay, I I like it. It's I've heard it's a than,
0: great movie. Yeah, yeah. Cuba Gooding
1: Jr.'s best. <laughs> Who? Uh, it also appears in the opening episode of season. The guy from Love Boat. F- That's with Horatio Sands. It also appears That's in it. the opening episode of Season 3 of Parenthood. Yes. Josie Scale, um, despite the nice things I said about Junk, um, I'm going to give it a Josie. It doesn't quite do it for me.
0: I understand. Uh, for all the reason I, I explained, it is my favorite, alvo- favorite song on this album. I'm mm-hmm. going to give it a full-throated, yeah!
1: Man, We Was Lonely. So this is finally a song addressing Paul's reality at the time. Um, it really brings home Linda that Linda saved him from God knows what insanity, maybe. And once you know, we get to hear Linda on this track. Um, the steel guitar sound might not have been needed. I think Becca just wanted to try something out somewhere. But I like it. He had to,
0: um he had to test the machine.
1: Check to check the to machine. Um, I the one thing is like uh, although it's. Um, he's being real about himself. He's talking about himself. He's, he's doing that like kind of fake voice. Yeah. man, we <laughs> like, Yeah. Like, yeah. Try to be contrary. <laughs> I,
0: I w- with the affectation, this is another one that I do love and you can almost like hear him smiling as he's singing this with Linda. Yeah. And you can just tell how excited he is to be like, you know, doing this at all and it feels definitely like a summary of what his life has been like post beatles to this point or i mean no one really knew but right he knew it was over the dream is over don't dream it's over hey now hey now
1: hey now The chorus, according to Paul, was written in bed at home shortly before they finished recording the album. The middle was done one lunchtime in a great hurry, as we were due to record the song that afternoon. Take your time, God.
0: It's okay. No uh,
1: I'm fine, I'm fine. Linda sings harmony on this song, which is our first duet together. Oh. The steel guitar sound is by Telecaster, played with a drum peg.
0: Fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Paul said on in Billboard Magazine on St. Patrick's Day 2001, it's nice when little words come out, like, and we was hard-pressed to find a smile. I like that line. It's a hokey thing. I think I'm remembering it wasn't that easy when I left the Beatles. Man, we was lonely. I think it was a little bit of a reflection of those times. I agreed. Josie scale, I'm going to give this a Josie, probably because of the affectation. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: i understand i however am give it, yes but which i am on record is loving uh yes. i'm gonna give this a yeah though i i think this is a great song and i'm it seems like it's a uh a preview of what we will get on his next solo effort
1: mm-hmm oh you oh you oh you, oh, you. Or, ooh, you. Uh, so I know he was just bullshitting on this track. That should have been an instrumental. But I'm not loving the line, cook like a woman. <laughs> oh, well. Do better next time, Paul. We're not going to cancel you on this one. But Yeah, that has it.
0: A... <laughs> We're watching you. Uh, yeah, that, that line has definitely not aged well, for sure. Um, I feel like he's doing more like classic blues lyric trope stuff more mm-hmm. than anything. Uh, I like the, I really like the riff. It's great, and again, it feels more like he's fucking around more mm. than anything here.
1: There's even a line that I didn't catch the first time where, where he's like, "Talk like a baby, goo goo go.
0: goo, go, goo go, goo go. goo, go, goo go, goo goo."
1: Uh, my mother tricked my five-year-old niece into saying "goo goo go, goo over the weekend. Oh, nice! And she repeated it like a lot.
0: I'm
1: about to do that to my daughter now. Yeah. Go, 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 Uh So Paul said the first three tracks were recorded at home as an instrument that might someday become a song. This, like Man We Was Lonely, was given lyrics one day after lunch, just before he left for Morgan Studios, where it was finished that afternoon. Him and lunch. Uh, on the mix, tape echo was used to move feedback from guitar from one side to another. Josie scale, I say Josie.
0: It's a Josie, yes.
1: Mama Miss America. This I like the title. Um, it's an impressive instrumental track. It's more than four minutes long. It's I especially like the beginning because it sounds like the theme song to a gritty detective show. The second half makes me think it'd be based in New Orleans.
0: Yeah, it's a wild instrumental. I really love the unexpected twists and turns it makes and becoming an entirely different song in the middle for a fun reason that I think you're about to get into. Eh, yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: Uh Paul said it was an instrumental recorded completely at home. He made it up as he went along. Uh, originally it was two pieces, but they ran into each other by accident and became one. That sounds painful. Ouch. They ran into each other. Yeah. The original title was Rock and Roll Springtime, which is shouted at the start of the recording. The edit of the two parts can be heard at 1 minute and 57 seconds. The two sections bear a little resemblance to one another. The first begins in A minor. It switches into A major. The second part is in G major. It follows a different rhythm and chord structure. And yet, here we are. <laughs> uh, it's a Josie.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a Josie
1: teddy boy i like this one actually it sounds like it didn't know it was supposed to be a silly rambling blues number maybe it isn't because paul wrote this for a beatles album i don't know about you but i want to be a good boy in my mother's eyes and linda's vocals are really nice here
0: everyone wants to be a good boy in their mother's eyes uh I think this is one of the weaker songs on the record for me. Hmm. Uh, in in context, it makes sense that it was a Beatles leftover. Mm-hmm. Um, like feels like something that no one would have liked at that time of if, if him. Just like, Oh, I have this. And yeah. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, but with the recording and in the context of the record, like I love the homespun quality of it. It's just not my favorite song, like completed song.
1: Save it for your solo album, Paul. He's like, maybe I, I will. will. Uh, this Paul said it was another song started in India, complete in Scotland and London, gradually. It was recorded for the Get Back film, but later not used. Uh, and he said it was re-recorded, partly at home, and finished at Bargain Studios. Linda and I sing the backing harmonies in, on the chorus and the occasional oohs. McCarty put forward Teddy Boys as a possible contender for the Let It Be album, although the Lightheart tale was clearly disliked by John Lennon. A version on Anthology 3 showed him deliberately attempting to sabotage McCarty's attempts to teach it to the group by singing Hoedown lyrics.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I have to listen to that. I, I haven't listened to the Anthology records, I have to admit. Hmm. Um, so this, this will be fun to listen to.
1: <laughs> they are a treat. Uh, even that one. Um, like, I fit, I'm i pretty sure, I, I mean, I'm definitely sure, like, I heard Teddy Boy and Junk first on Anthology 3.
0: Really? Okay. And,
1: yeah, before uh, the hearing the actual finished versions, which is not how you're supposed to do it.
0: It's okay. I didn't hear any of these until 2013. <sighs> when
1: David Wright was finishing his prime. Bringing it oh, back. Yeah. My second you know, cousin...
0: I was at the game where his career trajectory changed. Oh, wh- I...
1: When Matt Cain hit him in the head? Yeah, I was
0: there. That was the first
1: time. The second time he, he tried to steal second and maybe he was successful. And he's like, ah, oh, my back. Yeah. I wonder if there's something wrong with that.
0: I remember that too. I was watching that.
1: Anyway. <sighs> yes. Paul said, my second cousin Ted is the son of my cousin Betty Danner who was a big influence on me musically. Ted was their first boy, so that's partly why I refer to him as Teddy Boy. It's an affectionate term as I'm just over 10 years older than him. But the Teddy Boys were also the ruffians of my youth, the guys who wore long frock coats with velvet collars, drainpipe trousers, and crepe-soled shoes. Their shoes were known as beetle crushers or brothel creepers. These Mm -hmm. Teddy Boys were notable in the UK for hanging around street corners waiting for a little aggro. So Ted is the jumping off point for the song, but as usual, it takes its own cues and puts on its own show. The tales about his soldier dad are pure imagination. The lines, Teddy boy's here, Teddy's gonna see you through, are what I imagine Teddy saying to his mom when he was trying to support her. It's not too much of a stretch to connect this psychodrama to two sources. One is the terrible sense of loss I still feel about my mother. Teddy's then a version of myself trying to console myself while purportedly consoling my mother. Deep man. Somebody's Yo. been to therapy. Yes. I give this a yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I'm gonna give this one a Josie.
1: You son of a gun. Uh. Somebody has a healthy relationship with their parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh single all junk we talked about already. It's a Josie.
0: Yes. Baby I'm just
1: amazed. What were yes. you ass- what would you say?
0: Uh, oh, oh nothing. It was just you know instrumental version of single of of junk. Yes. It's very pretty. I think it should, you know, soundtrack more movies. Every movie. It should be in every movie.
1: It should be in a movie Andrew has seen. How about that?
0: There you go. I think I have seen it in uh, the Parenthood episode, though. Oh,
1: ah, yeah. yeah, but that's not a movie. No, it's not. So maybe I'm amazed. Uh, you've heard of this one. This I is sure Paul's. Have. This is Paul's. wild I could charge Ellie weeps as far as I'm concerned because I know it's good, but I have to get over how overplayed it is first. Yeah, it's good. The singer really needs his partner, but it's scary to him. I get it.
0: Uh, this song is probably playing on Q104.3 right now. <laughs> or has been in the past 24 hours. Um, I should have checked. Uh, I yeah, I understand that it's overplayed. Um, but what I take away from this song is it's a preview of how even with the re- like without the rest of the Beatles, he is absolutely ready to write an incredible pop song when he wants to. Like he is, like he. I don't know if he knew he had to have something that was like, like the hook to bring everyone in, or to have like, you know, he is a singles-oriented kind of guy. Um, But this is just a a preview of like, I'm gonna make some really grand pop statements in my solo career. Uh, Just watch out.
1: George liked it. By the way, Q104, what you said. It's probably playing right now. They were actually playing Money, Money by uh, Billy
0: Idol. Oh, you know, they're they're really into the 80s now. Q104.3, it seems. Mm. That's okay.
1: Yeah. 80s. We're, we're, we're,
0: a lot of 80s talk today.
1: Mm. Living at it, baby. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Paul said, written in London at the piano, with the second verse added slightly later, as if you cared. Oh, boy. <sighs> Linda and I are a vocal backing group It was mixed at EMI A movie was made using Linda's slides And edited to this track Maybe I'm Amazed Was a product of the depression McCartney experienced around the time of the Beatles' breakup Wondering what to do with his life He briefly turned to the bottle Before Linda encouraged him to start writing and recording music again This song was a tribute to her Inspirational spirit Which shone through amid his melancholia That's a good way of putting it. Uh, Paul Bacardi said in the lyrics book, Linda and I were probably already married because I could now visualize sitting at the lovely black Steinway piano that we got after our wedding. I was playing on it one day and a song came to me, the central idea being that there's so often a split between the inner and outer. The elements of fear and loneliness are very much to the fore. Maybe I'm afraid of the way I love you is itself a troubling idea. Well, it's true that Linda is the person I'm addressing, it's also true I'm dealing in fiction. Starting with myself, the characters who appear in my songs are imagined. I can't state that often enough. I don't know. I'd have an imagination, damn it. Hmm. I'm not that other guy. I don't sing I don't about myself all the time. Maybe I'm amazed like all the other songs of McCarty was not released as a single, except in France and Germany why are they special i don't know six years later however a live version was issued from the 1976 album wings over america and became an international hit and that's the version we all that you probably know you know josie scale so again i tried and to listen with fresh ears and i'm afraid it's a josie for me
0: Baby, I'm afraid that you're just not right now. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give this one a yeah. I think this is one of his best pop songs. As I've said so many times, it's mm. pure McCartney, baby. Um, <laughs> just to hit pause on this for one second, I have been going back on the Q104.3 uh, archives here to find out when's the last time they played. Maybe I'm amazed, and I haven't found it. So yeah. But what I did find it's is that they being. have a they have a well they have a section called top songs. Uh-huh. So you can find out what the, the most played songs are, I guess, recently.
1: Mhm.
0: D- do you have a guess? The most played? The most pl- whatever the what Q104.3, which if you're not in the New York area is like the classic rock station that's, you know, every, you know, has no imagination really. Um <laughs> It, 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 there's there's more than just Billy Joel and Led Zeppelin everyone are they playing the uh,
1: new Billy Joel song
0: that is the top song, my man
1: oh my goodness
0: what do you think is number two though
1: mm. not the new Beatles song I guess
0: no it's we're 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 strictly in the eighties now
1: oh okay uh, Bowie uh
0: modern love. No, I, that'd be great, though. No, it's Summer of 69 by Brian Adams, what? which I think we talked about last time that they played a surprising amount of Brian Adams on this radio st- on this radio station. That and, just, and just to round out the top 10, three is Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks. 80s. Oh, that's a
1: good
0: one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no One Likes You by Scorpions? 80s. Number four? Weird. 80s. Number five, Nothing But a Good Time, Poison. 80s. 80s. Uh, under the bridge by red hot chili peppers oh no wow 90s okay 90s that's classic rock now glory days by bruce springsteen 80s hello i love you by the doors not 80s not 80s a sister christian by night ranger Ooh, i think that's 70s is it 70s it feels 80s sister but it could be christian
1: 70s all the time is good. and
0: number 10 rocket man Oh, by Elton John! Wow,
1: you're right. It was Sister Christian is March 1984.
0: Man, it's just this. The station has just really leaned into the 80s.
1: I wish they told us sooner.
0: You know, and there's no there's no Beatles, but I will just say number 19 is "Run to You" by Brian Adams. So we're just really <laughs> yeah. a lot of Brian a lot of Brian Adams on Q104.3. Well,
1: yeah, I mean. I, I was prepared for the inevitability of classic rock being, you know, songs that I grew up with at some right. point in my life. Yes. Uh, when you live to a certain age, that's that's what happens. Yes. Uh, but yeah, 80s, sure. I uh, was born in the 80s and Same. that's fine. I look,
0: I look forward to when Q104.3 starts playing The Strokes. Yeah, classic that's, rock,
1: that... baby. Classic rock, baby. 2001.
0: And... Yeah, it's coming. Time remains undefeated.
1: Uh, uh, anyway, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I was going to ask you, do you prefer the studio version of Maybe I'm Amazed or the
0: live version? Ooh, um, both good. They are a are little different. About, they are a little different. I think are we t- we're talking about the one hand clapping version? Yeah,
1: the, the Yeah, the one that is ubiquitous that we assume what's on Q104
0: I'm gonna go with the studio version really? yeah I'm gonna go with the studio version even though you do get some good MACA screams there Mm -hmm. but I I think what I appreciate about the studio version is again him like doing all of it and you know maybe I'm amazed
1: maybe I I think I prefer the live version because the guitar is more uh, aggressive a little bit
0: oh absolutely yeah
1: was
0: that and that was uh, that was the wings band right
1: i believe that was wings yeah, yeah. okay and the final track Crean akori there's no way i pronounced that correctly but it's an intriguing instrumental to finish the album um to tell a story the you know paul could score a movie i know that much which mm. he kind of did with george martin years earlier the family way. It's interesting that he ends McCartney with the sound of someone being chased. Hmm. Maybe a look inside his nightmares.
0: So much of this album feels like it's soundtracking a movie that we've never seen uh and, and never came out. Uh this is a fun way to close out the record. It's the culmination of him shaking shaking the cobwebs off and having fun with his, four, his Studer four track. Mm-hmm. Uh and and after this like he's definitely ready to make more conventional pop music.
1: Yeah, this is like finally getting all of his jollies out, yep. or his sillies, as you put it.
0: I mean, and to be honest with you, well, did Ringo do it? Everyone else did it too. Like, everyone had that moment of just like being a little experimental and a little bit weird. I don't think you know?
1: Ringo was experimental. We'll, we'll get to that. But I, I no. think Ringo was the the one guy who was not experimental. And he just, and that's why he was like the most popular commercially for a while.
0: (laughs) Like uh, with the last episode, we talked all about what John did and like none of that was commercial. Correct. Um, You could even argue that the single that we covered was not commercial in any way either. Mm -hmm. Um, George had a whole disc that was just him putzing around (laughs) and not even talking Wonderwall music here. Just like the third disc of, of all things must pass is like, nothing it's yeah. it's just a jam like he's that's that's his way of getting his his sillies out and then you get this paul record so everyone had their opportunity to be like all right here we go crack in the back like what am i gonna do here i have every opportunity to do whatever the heck i want how am i gonna spend it oh i don't know time mm-hmm. to <laughs> <laughs> retreat a little bit <laughs>
1: yeah that could be scary yeah uh, but john I, I showed the imagine way imagine
0: it yeah, yeah.
1: They had unlimited creative uh, space, um, permission, energy.
0: They, they'd spent many years maybe like bristling under the fact that they couldn't do anything they want. And then when it was their turn to do so, they're like, all right. And they, they all approached it you know, in an interesting way.
1: So Paul said there was a film on TV about the Nakori Indians living in the Brazilian jungle, their lives and how the white man is trying to change their way of life to his. So the next day after lunch, always with lunch, I did some drumming. Hmm. The idea behind it was to get the feeling of their hunt. So later piano, guitar and organ were added to the first section. So once again, he starts with the drums. The second had a few tracks of voices, Linda and I, and the end had overdubbing breathing, going into organ and two lead guitars in harmony. It was done at Morgan. The engineer was Robin Black. The end of the first section has Linda and I doing animal noises, speeded up, and an arrow sound done live with bow and arrow. The bow broke. Then animals stampeding across a guitar case. There are two drum tracks. We built a fire in the studio but didn't use it, but used the sound of the twigs breaking. I think he's kidding about that. A guitar case was used as a percussion instrument and a bow and arrow provided further sound effects. As he said, the instrumental piece was a daring way to end the Bacardi album, which hinted at his willingness to continue recording experimental pieces outside the Beatles. Josie Scale. Uh, Josie. It's a Josie. And now we have Suicide. Oh, boy. Yeah, so this was a bonus track on the what it's called the archived, not the archive version. What's it called? Yeah, the archive collection.
0: The, the Paul McCartney's archive collection, which Beatles, which in recent times Beatles fans are or uh, Beatles McCartney fans are upset because it seems like the archive collection is not continuing any longer. Mm, they Where just. He
1: has- keep- they just came out with a, something called the underdubbed version of, of Band on the Run for the fiftieth anniversary.
0: Yeah, but he'd already done a. I think he'd already done an archive or archive version of this. Oh, okay. I think it's later. It's later records that have not seen. Like anniversaries that have been missed, and I've seen, you know, chatter online about frustrations that it seems like this part of his, you know reissue campaign is seemingly ending well maybe it's because
1: suicide was released on maybe the archive collection of McCartney first track on disc 2 um I oh boy like I cringe when I think Paul gave this to Frank Sinatra and I don't even care for Sinatra all blue eyes was well in his rights to wonder if he was putting him on here I think at one point he sings duty
0: I did not know that he gave this to Sinatra. Um, this song feels like one that he would have brought up in earnest uh, for the Beatles during the more contentious moments at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. Like I got, a, I got this one, and then everyone leaving. <laughs> I don't like this song at all. This is Paul's worst old-timey impulses committed to tape.
1: Mm-hmm. That's uh, saying something. Um, this was rehearsed during the Let It Be sessions. Um, it was one of McCartney's earliest songs, likely dating from 1956 when he was 14. Um, it was written with Sinatra in mind, maybe since 14 years old. Yeah, um, Paul said it was murder, horrible song. But you had to go through all those styles to discover your own. I only had one verse, so I cobbled together another. And the funny thing was, years and years later, uh, Frank Sinatra rang me at Abbey Road Studio, and it was a great moment. One of the engineers said, Paul, Sinatra's on the phone. And I was able to go, oh, I'll be there in a minute. Touch a fader and then go off. And everyone would go, ooh, Sinatra's on the phone. How many people have that? He was asking for a song, so I found the song, made a demo, and sent it to him. Apparently he thought it was an almighty piss take. No, no way he's no. <laughs> no way he's supposed to have said to one of his people, "Is this guy having me on?" So my career Sinatra ended in terrible ignom- ignominy. Uh, I think he couldn't grasp it was tongue in cheek. It was only supposed to be a play on the word suicide, not actual physical suicide. If a girl lets a guy trample all over her, she's committing some sort of suicide. I think he sent the demo back. Looking back on it, I'm quite relieved he did actually. It wasn't a good song, it was just a teenage thought. Jesus. Uh, Suicide was briefly played at Apple Studios during the Get Back Let Be sessions on January 26, 1969. McCartney played it on piano with John Lennon joining in, indicating he was familiar with the song. Um, so, what's with the Beatles and Frank Sinatra, we've talked in the past. That Andy yes. Burt could sing was probably about him. Um, and Sinatra was dismissive of the Beatles, uh, publicly. But one th- and and also, but then later he did, uh, sing something at concerts, although he credited to Lennon McCartney for a number of years. Um, one thing that I learned from Instagram, of all places, and I mentioned this to you, but we never talked about it on the podcast. He did, um, Ringo requested that he re- re-record The Lady is a Tramp, but changed the lyric to The Lady is a Champ for his wife Maureen for her birthday. And Frank acquiesced. He re- and there was only one copy ever made of that song, The Lady is a Champ. And that was Ringo's gift to his wife at the time, Maureen, one year. So he did, give, he did do that solid for them.
0: You know, it, well, I think Americans loved Ringo the most.
1: <laughs> I'll do it for you, Ring, but nobody else in your but, little bopped-up you know, group.
0: It's, it, you, I don't know where I, I don't recall if or if he ever commented on the song yesterday, but that feels like a song that Sinatra would have mm-hmm. loved, like. Like that would have been a song that would have maybe like changed his mind about these guys, because it's such a like it, it like it plays like such a standard and seems like something that he would would cover.
1: I mean, everybody covered it. So everyone he
0: may have. I don't. You know who knows? Maybe. Um, Josie Scale, Josie, of course. <laughs> yes, Josie.
1: Um, all right. So the critical reception of this album. It was widely criticized for being underproduced and for its unfinished songs. In addition, according to Nicholas (laughs) Schaffnerin in his 1977 book, The Beatles Forever, McCarty's attempt to use The Beatles breakup to promote his solo album while presenting himself as a happy family man apparently backfired, since many observers found the whole thing contrived, tasteless, and rather vicious. Uh, Mattinger and Easter write of the album receiving a critical lambasting and that the general sentiment among reviewers was something to the effect of, he broke up the Beals for this? Right. Um, Richard Williams and Melody Maker suggested that with this record, McCartney's debt to George Martin becomes increasingly clear. Williams found sheer banality in all the tracks, save for Maybe I'm Amazed, and described Man We Was Lonely as the worst example of his music hall side. In a favorable assessment for the NME, Alan Smith wrote that while on first listen he found McCarty too harmlessly mild, his view had changed with time, such that listening to it is like hearing a man's personal contentment committed to the sound of music. Most of the sounds, effects, and ideas are sheer brilliance. Much of the aura is of quiet songs on a hot summer night, and virtually all the tracks reflect a kind of intangible roundness. Excitement is not a word to use for this album. Warmth and happiness are. Yep. But how about this? In 1999, Neil Young inducted Paul McCartney into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he praised McCartney, the album, saying, I love that record because it was so simple, and there was so much to see and to hear. It was just Paul. There was no adornment at all. There was no attempt made to compete with the things he had already done. And so out he stepped from the shadow of the Beatles. So that's, that's high praise, I would say. yes.
0: Think. And I would agree with Neil, uh, Neil there. I don't agree with Neil with on, on... Well, I agree with Neil on a lot of things, but I also don't agree with Neil on a lot of things. <laughs> that, yes. He's level... I think, as we said, like I've said, he's leveling the playing field saying, I can't touch that. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to... Here, here's something to annoy you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Neil Young's like, I'm all about annoying people with...
0: Oh he sure is
1: Oh boy is he ever Uh, McCartney subsequently told Rolling Stone that given the album's Homey qualities he considered it to be rock music's First indie album Mm -hmm. Adding you know it's now what we would Call an indie thing to me then It was just knocking around experimenting with some Sounds and not worrying How it was going to turn out I think that was One of the secrets Citing its home recording and mixing, Brent Day of Paste felt that McCartney was arguably one of the first big lo-fi records of its day. It was one of McCartney's two post-Beatle albums that was included in one thousand one albums you must hear before you die. Um, I don't know. It, it, he kind of cheated by recording some of these songs in the studio, so I don't know if it should be should count as.
0: I think a lot. Well, most of it lo-fi. is lo-fi. And I think it's pretty obvious which ones are not. Yes. But, you know, he doesn't directly state it in the track, you know, like on the album back mm-hmm. in, you know, on the original Pressing of the Record. So, you know.
1: Yeah. I'll let him have it, I guess.
0: Sure. I, I don't part... disagree. that like, He does give it like that. It does have that, like bedroom rec- recording vibes where it's like, yeah, you could consider the first like bedroom pop record.
1: Okay. That's also high praise, I would say. Yeah. There would be no Guided by Voices if it wasn't for McCartney. McCartney spent three weeks at number one in the U.S. and was eventually certified double platinum. It fared slightly less well in the U.K., being held off the top spot by Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water, which was I'll get you,
0: Paul Simon. I'll (laughs) get you one day. I'm the better Paul, damn it.
1: Uh yeah. So love count. Uh in throughout the album I counted six. Uh in Man We Was Lonely, he says, Now let me lie with my love for the time. Ooh you, love like a woman. Ooh 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 ooh. Teddy boy, he could stand to see his mother in love with another man. And he twice and Maybe I'm Amazed. So there you go. And that my friends is Paul McCartney's McCartney. An interesting step. Yes, up next is a little album called All Things Must Pass.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) That's going to be a long episode.
1: We know how side three, how Andrew feels about side three, but what about the other sides? Three sides now. We'll find out. Yes. Yes. Thanks for listening.
0: See you next time. Bye. 80s. The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot. So are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band. Someday we'll judge if they're fine. Oh, yeah. Someday we'll judge if they're fine.